0: Ten four. Yes, October is with us, and this may mean a greater preponderance of throwback references to the CB craze that I'm hopeful others remember. Boy, you ain't here. Okay, wait a minute. Turn your
1: speaker down. Snip.
0: Either way, you have received this message, which takes the form of another installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement. This service of Town Crier Productions seeks to communicate a great many number of things. I'm Sean Tubbs. It's time to hammer down and breaker breaker. It's October 4th, 2022. On today's program, Charlottesville increases driver pay to $21 an hour and gives a 12% raise to other transit workers. A familiar face is back in charge of Greene County local government. A group has formed to try to stop the development of 245 apartment units on land in the floodplain along the Rivanna River. A Charlottesville playground is closed for two weeks to make a replacement. And the Charlottesville Planning Commission and City Council have a long discussion about the next steps for the city's zoning process. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, Charlottesville United for Public Education wants listeners and readers to know about a Public Schools Matters webinar happening Wednesday, October 12th at 7.30pm. How will the reconfiguration timeline affect your student? What's in the plans to renovate Buford Middle School? How well is the school system doing on transportation nearly two months into the academic year? Join Charlottesville United for Public Education for the discussion and to ask your questions. There's a link to the Zoom webinar in a link in the newsletter. Thank you for that shout out. A shortage of bus drivers has delayed the start of new Charlottesville area transit routes and has led to more students walking to the city of Charlottesville's public schools. To help attract more workers, Charlottesville officials have announced a pay increase. Here is Interim City Manager Michael C. Rogers at last night's City Council meeting.
1: In addition to the two recruitment and retention bonuses that uh, was implemented last year with council support, I am today announcing a major shift in the compensation structure for operators, transit and pupil, bus aides, transit bus technicians, transit maintenance workers as well. These changes will be effective today.
0: The entry-level wage for bus drivers will now begin at $21 per hour, and bus aides will be paid
1: $18 an hour. All bus drivers with more than a year service, along with technicians and maintenance uh, personnel, will receive a 12% market adjustment to demonstrate the city's support. He said the
0: pay increase is paid out of CAT's budget from the many vacancies. If all of the vacancies are filed, council will be asked to increase funds. Yesterday was the first day that Brenda Garten was back at work in Greene County to run that local government while the Board of Supervisors seeks a permanent county administrator. Mark B. Taylor resigned last month to take a position as school superintendent in Spotsylvania County. Garton previously served as Green's interim administrator after John Barkley stepped down in 2018. She's also served in similar caretaker positions in Rappahannock, Frederick. Gloucester, Orange, and Prince George counties. In a press release, she said that she enjoyed her previous service in 2018 and 2019 and said that it is critical to the continuity of the organization, staff, and ongoing projects to maintain stability and steady progress while a search for a new administrator continues. The next meeting of the Greene County Board of Supervisors is October 11th. Tomorrow, there will be a site plan review conference for a project to build 245 units on land that would be elevated out of the floodplain with fill. A new group called the Free Bridge Floodplain Advocacy Group has formed to try to stop the plans from being realized. Here's part of a statement they sent to Charlottesville Community Engagement. We recognize that this is a buy right project, but we feel there are legitimate avenues for the city to deny approval. The group believes that the project can be challenged on the basis of entrance and traffic-related issues, as well as impacts related to its location within the 100-year floodplain. A group of about 35 people met this past weekend to discuss strategy. If you're interested in learning more, you can email them at nofloodplainbuildings at gmail.com. For the next two weeks, the playground at Belmont Park in Charlottesville will be closed. The city's Parks and Recreation Department is replacing equipment at the park. Here's a section from a press release. The theme for the new play equipment is called Keaton Forest, which includes more features and challenges with a number of slides, bongos, fun seats, and ground level ADA accessible elements to include Freenote Butterfly Ensemble. Those elements were selected by a majority of survey respondents. The work is expected to be completed by October 18th. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second subscriber-supported public service announcement, do you want to learn how to reduce food waste by growing your own food and learning how to preserve it? The Piedmont Master Gardeners are teaming up with the Virginia Cooperative Extension to offer a class on Saturday, October 15th at 2 p.m. at Trinity Episcopal Church on Preston Avenue. In addition to covering food preservation techniques, the program will examine the problem of wasted food, how much goes to waste, why waste happens, and why waste matters, and how to keep the valuable resources used to produce and distribute food from ending up in landfills. Space is limited. To preserve a place in the class, you can register at piedmontmastergardeners.org slash events. Registration closes at 5 p.m. on October 14th. Last week, the Charlottesville City Council and the Charlottesville Planning Commission gathered in city space to provide guidance for the next phase of the Seville Plans Together initiative. James Fries is the city's director of Neighborhood Development Services.
2: The overview question for you guys tonight is, are we generally on the right track as far as uh, adopting zoning that will advance us in the implementation of our comprehensive plan and affordable housing plan?
0: Over the summer, members of the public have had the chance to review and comment on a study known as the Zoning Diagnostic and Approach Report. In August, an inclusionary zoning report was published, which suggests ways to incentivize and encourage the development of units that must be sold or rented below market.
2: It also cl- included an analysis we're calling the rate of change uh, analysis, which is looking at, um, in particular, what, how the housing market might respond to um, this new zoning within the general residential and medium-intensity residential districts.
0: Fries said feedback demonstrates there is widespread support for increasing the number of below-market units, even among residents opposed to the additional residential density permitted under the future land-use map. The rewrite of the zoning is intended to make that happen by allowing more units per lot, depending on a series of factors for the purposes of illustration a projection of the market assumed the maximum level of development
2: we know there are several there are always going to be physical financial considerations that will limit the development of any uh, any individual lot kind of in the real world as it were
0: the zoning rewrite is an update to serve the needs of Charlottesville in the third decade of the 21st century when free said most of Charlottesville is already built out A new zoning code is intended to be much easier to use and
2: understand. Overall, um, what's very clear is our existing zoning ordinance is really built on a uh, greenfield development model, right? It's geared towards that type of development and responds well to that. But as we know, most of the development we see here in the city is infill and redevelopment activity. And we really need a zoning ordinance that is geared towards that type of development. Existing
0: rules on tree conservation and historic preservation will largely remain in place, though other sections of the zoning code will change. One of them is parking and perhaps reducing requirements in exchange for affordability provisions. Here's a broad overview of what the zoning rewrite is intended to accomplish. Allow more units on every lot zoned for only a single unit today. Allow more rental and ownership options. Identify and create zoning incentives for increasing affordability. Adopt an inclusionary zoning policy as part of the ordinance. Create a toolkit to avoid displacing at-risk communities that inclusionary zoning ordinance would kick in if there are more than 10 units in a development and 10% would have to be targeted at 60% of the area median income for a term of 99
2: years. And that those units must be effectively indistinguishable from the other units within the project.
0: City Councilor Cena McGill wanted to know how the city would make sure the affordability provisions would actually work.
1: How are we going to enforce that? If these are rental properties in particular, it's easier to enforce that when it comes to sellable properties because that's a one-time set amount. But if we're looking at rental properties, we are going to have to have people in place to make sure that is being enforced.
0: Philip Cash is with HRNA Advisors, and he said the city will need to monitor the rentals to make sure the terms are being met. But there are limits.
1: Anytime the city's investing money in affordable housing, someone needs to be monitoring that. Now, a lot of times there's somebody else investing in the property so you can have agreements and share the monitoring cost. For inclusionary zoning, generally you won't be able to because you'll, these are private transactions.
0: Over 10,000 parcels were studied as part of an analysis done for the inclusionary zoning work. The initial findings are that less than 2% of those parcels would be market viable for redevelopment, and even
1: fewer would actually be redeveloped. When you up zone like this, and there even when there is a creation of additional value, there's not a huge shift in homeowner behavior. Um, again, for the same reason I said earlier, is homeowners aren't economically rational. They are making decisions based on when their kids are graduating from school or if they're going through a divorce.
0: Other changes would decrease the power of city council, such as moving the city's protection on critical slopes to a staff decision. Planning Commissioner Hosea Mitchell disagrees with that move.
2: The worry is that we, um, most of the development that we're going to do is going to be infilled, and most of the development that we're going to do are going to be really difficult um, places to develop. And I would rather leave it to elected officials to make uh, the final decision about you know, what we do in such critical areas of our community.
0: Councilor Cena McGill wants to write it into city code that landlords cannot conduct credit checks on people who decide to use federal housing vouchers.
1: I think this is an opportunity that we can look at some of that, that we normally don't consider.
0: City Councilor Michael Payne wants to tie inclusionary zoning directly to housing vouchers in order to reach households with very low incomes. That's similar to a new policy in New Haven, Connecticut, written by HR&A advisors. That would just have a huge benefit of getting the AMI level of who's benefiting from this down to zero to 30 percent. That got the general questions out of the way. Then there were three targeted questions. This podcast brings you the first one. Other podcasts will bring you the others. One way to theoretically bring down the cost of housing is to not require as many parking spaces. The commission and council were asked whether they would be willing to eliminate parking minimums, which could also require the city to play more of a role in enforcement. Lee Einsweiler is with Code Studio. It
1: is, I am going to say, a bit of a pseudoscience. (laughs) Um... One of the things that truly happens with parking is that as it gets tighter, people make alternate choices. At what rate,
2: at what pace, you know, in what kinds of ways, not quite certain what would
0: happen here. Einzweiler asked the group if they would be willing to change the way parking is handled in Charlottesville.
1: I'm going to suggest that no matter what we decide about this issue, the management of parking from the public front needs to be increased. We are going to uh, have housing in places where we don't currently have housing. We're going to perhaps have more housing than we expected in certain portions of the community.
0: And therefore we need to think about parking management. That could mean charging for parking in more locations. Charlottesville tried that in downtown Charlottesville in the summer of 2017, but public outcry ended a six month pilot early. Planning Commissioner Hosea Mitchell said he would support reducing parking minimums for new development, but added that Charlottesville is a destination.
2: We need to think about the needs of um, the businesses in Charlottesville and their parking needs um, and support the, their needs because they buoy our tax base.
0: New Commissioner Phil Duranzio Said the community needs to change its behavior and drive
2: less. How we take care of and house people is somehow going to be driven by how we take care of a 4,000-piece of Chinese steel that's, uh, you know, burning hydrocarbons.
0: Commissioner Karim Habab supported reductions, but did not support a move to paid street parking.
2: It will intentionally burden
0: our lower-income residents disproportionately. New Commissioner Carl Schwartz said he believed developers of large complexes will provide parking because they know residents will demand spaces.
2: A larger development or a larger developer is going to be smart enough to know that, you know, if they need a certain amount of parking, they're going to put it on there uh, on their site. Um, so, yeah, it's more of a concern with um, you know the people who live in the neighborhoods that um, might lose their parking spot that's currently out in front of their house. And, you know, are we going to do a um, citywide permit parking or something in, in all the residential neighborhoods? And if
0: so, who would do the enforcement? Commissioner Liz Russell also asked how much that would cost. Commissioner Rory Stolzenberg also supports eliminating parking requirements.
2: I'm I'm not really under any illusion that uh, people are going to stop putting as much parking as they can fit uh, into their buildings. Um, But, uh, you know, I think everyone agrees uh, that we want to move to a city where more people uh, get around without a car.
0: Bill Palmer is the non-voting representative from the University of Virginia which, unlike Charlottesville, has a transportation demand management plan in place to help manage parking.
2: There's a lot you can do with technology these days that, that wasn't there even five years ago. And so I think, you know, to take a, a close look at that and, and it would be a lot different than what people really have in their mind.
0: Counselor Cena McGill said she would also support reducing parking minimums.
1: I do see people working to get rid of vehicles more. Um... It's going to take time, though, and we also have to address the fact that we have significant infrastructure issues to support non-motor transit. We also have to to face the fact that we are the urban center for a large rural area.
0: McGill supports creation of park and ride lots on the outskirts of town accessible via transit. City Councilor Michael Payne supports eliminating parking requirements for projects that are 100% below market. The only thing that gives me a little bit of hesitancy about the final question, which is completely eliminating parking requirements citywide, um, is just in making that decision, I feel like I would be flying a little bit blind in terms of not understanding what we should expect the practical impacts of that to be. Payne said biking, walking, and public transportation don't work for everyone. Particularly if they need to get to work on time and could get fired if they're 10 minutes late, much less an hour late, because the bus system wasn't reliable. Um, And we're at least 10, 15 years out until I think we have implemented our regional transit vision plan, until we have bike pen infrastructure that's fully connected. Charlottesville Mayor Lloyd Snook said some basic questions needed to be addressed.
1: So the premise of eliminating parking minimums for residential property has to be that a significant number of the occupants can make do without access to a car either because there is transit available or because it is a close enough walk to where they would need to get to or because, you know, e-bikes or whatever. I will say as somebody who has ridden bikes in Charlottesville for more than 60 years, the hills can get really rather daunting. They were daunting when I was eight. They are daunting when I am 68. Snook said eliminating
0: minimums makes sense in places along transit lines, but less so in areas that are not on a bus route. Vice Mayor Juan Diego Wade said he was supportive of looking at the issue, but he said he's also concerned that people won't get out of their cars. He said he's aware of what is happening in other larger communities. We have to remember Charlottesville is 10 square miles. We don't have a lot of options to, to do different things and, as we said, most of the property is already used, so we have to kind of keep that in mind when we're using different examples that Charlottesville is 10 square miles. Wade works as a mentor and said he asks the people he works with what their transportation options are. He said having access to a car can open up more possibilities. For now, he said the zoning should be flexible and adaptive. One of the things that talking with Mr. Freeze that he he said that, you know, once, once this is done, is really not done because it's dynamic. We can, that's, it's not set, set in stone. So I think we're gonna have to be willing that whatever we decide, People ain't going more than likely like it. And we're going to have to be willing to say, okay, this is not working out the way we thought it would be. And so let's go back and, and change it. There were two more questions from this meeting, and I will get to those in a future edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement. These are detailed conversations, and eventually I will get through this so that you can know what was said and know what to expect as the process continues. Fries said the goal is to have a draft zoning code and map ready for public review in January, followed by a public hearing on the final work next spring. While you wait for the next story, there's a lot more for you to read. There's comments available in the newsletter. Go take a look. But that's the end of this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement. We're about to say over and out, but until then... Another episode, and this one actually came out relatively early, before 10 o'clock. There's a lot more to get to. Perhaps this is the week when the schedule comes together and I can get these out earlier and earlier so more people can read and hear them. Either way, this week there will be stories on Albemarle County's Comprehensive Plan, Regional Transit, and Charlottesville's Climate Action Plan. And of course, more from this recent planning commission and city council work session on zoning. Also, not in this installment is Governor Youngkin's reveal of his energy plan. I was going to put that one in this, but I think it needs a longer listen, so we're going to wait on that, hopefully until tomorrow. You want to make sure these stories do get written? Consider signing up for a paid subscription to the newsletter and podcast, which will help me keep going as an independent journalist. There's also Patreon, which you can use to support the work I'm doing overall at Town Crier Productions. This work is not that of a nonprofit, but every scrap of revenue goes to covering the costs of doing this work. It's a living. And if you do subscribe, Ting will match your initial payment of $5 a month fifty dollars a year or two hundred dollars a year the first two give you first look at premium content and the third gives you two shout outs a month though that system will be revamped in the coming months but get in now so you can get on your shout outs and if you sign up for ting through a link in the newsletter you get the free standard installation your second month for free and a 75 dollar downtown mall gift card enter the promo code community to get those benefits thank you to ting Music in the podcast version of this program comes from a musical entity known as Vrocky, a musical entity that is available on Bandcamp in the album Regret Everything. Pay what you want. Send him some money. Finally today, to keep up with when the next one of these is coming out, follow Town Crier Productions on Twitter. Thank you so much over and out and all of that. I have got to brush up on my CB stuff It's fascinating uh, to see where we're going to go. Happy October, and we will be back in the near future with another installment of the program. See you again. Negatory is the opposite of all of the above in short and old. A short short is the opposite of a long long. Now. Here's a big that I left for towards the last because it's one of the most important you'll ever use. I guarantee you, Mercy Day, under all circumstances, means Mercy Day.